The goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Hello all, welcome to part two of our discussion with David Van Bruen, co-founder and CEO, Fairly AI, to focus on artificial intelligence governance. So maybe we take it from the beginning. You, your education was in philosophy. How yeah. did you get into data science? So I started philosophy because I wanted to be an artist and then a film director and then I wanted to have something to say that I thought I could defend and was sensible and kind of understood the full complexities of human nature that's what a high school student thinks and um, that's kind of how I got into it but I kept getting um, like really top marks in the logic classes Mm. and I had not um not thought of myself as a technical person so much, but my family is full of computer scientists. Um, I studied more logic as it went along because that was a great way to pop my average up because you can just get 100% in everything because it's all like, it's not like an essay where someone's- Yeah, two plus two is always four. Guaranteed a good mark. Uh, so uh, when I got into grad school, I, I thought I'd either do cognitive science, uh, psychology, uh, like the philosophy of mind, or uh, logic. And I chose logic and uh, took a class at University of Waterloo in my master's on artificial intelligence. And it was pretty awesome because we programmed in Lisp. And that's just crazy recursive I, I just like geeked out on it. I loved it. And we made mm-hmm. neural networks. We made frame-based reasoning tools. And this is before anyone heard of neural networks uh, in the pub, you know, popular. I was going to say, it probably wasn't a very popular course or it just wasn't, probably wasn't that mainstream yet. Right? It was, it was popular with computer science students, but none of the philosophers could code. So <laughs> I didn't take it, but I just learned to code because... I don't know. I liked it. Um, and I, you know, for the final assignment, I trained a neural network to uh, reason like a puppy does during uh, toilet training. And so the different rooms of the house, as well as the outside, the features, it would learn like which room would be. A, and and it, w- it did what I wanted. It, it was confused in the laundry room with the smells mm. and stuff. It was fun. I, I just geeked out on it. And then when I got to uh, Cornell, I did philosophy of language. And um, it was really top program for philosophy of language where you are effectively trying to do uh, systematic procedures to get from natural spoken human language to formal logical languages. Mm-hmm. Um, and then capture meaning uh along the way so how you define the word the 
uh, was a whole course that I took on the workshop. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, but if like for good reason, it was a theory of descriptions and how you can uniquely identify one thing um, as opposed to ah, which there can be many. Um, it, it, it's uh, a kind of strange field, but it involves logic, mathematics, uh, humanities, metaphysics, and linguistics. And I got into linguistics pretty heavily when I got over to Berkeley on a, I did a three-year um, exchange and met my wife in California. And that's why it was a three-year <laughs> exchange. I didn't want to come back, but we studied a lot of linguistics because uh, they have a top program there. And then there was this thing called corpus linguistics, where instead of writing all the rules that you sit in your chair and say Bertrand Russell and Frege and all these people had these ways of reducing mathematics to logic and we can do the same with language and write down all the rules and argue about Chomsky, they just took a statistical algorithm, threw it at a whole bunch of data and it performed better than anything that us rules-based type people were, were coming up with it. I was like, well, I don't know if we need to understand what's going on, if we can just actually prove that we're doing, uh, making a mechanism that is uh, more effective at um, doing natural language understanding type tasks. So from there, I, I just started coding and stopped writing my thesis. I see. Do you think that your your background, like your really in-depth studies in linguistics and semantics, really give does it? Do you think it's giving you an edge in terms of um, this area of AI, just because it's also very similar and it's also very logical as well? I'm just curious as to if that has made you successful because of your um, graduate studies. It's made me successful at running an AI company and building out uh, tech in a startup where you don't have resources and you just have to be creative and, you know, do what makes sense and learn things very quickly. Um, probably engineering skills are lacking. <laughs> I shouldn't say this. I mean, I, I have a lot of deep understanding of mathematical structures, but I, you know, I think people that do a traditional computer science degree are are going to have some advantages um, there. But it, it's it's this um, new and interesting domain where the mathematical formulas and reams of code and and technologies that are uh, very obscure to a lot of people meet the humanities and the social sciences and the divide between that has been very large for most people coming out of their educational backgrounds that you, you either stream into one area. <clears throat> so I, th I think in areas where we have to deal with meaning, we have to deal with uh, the um, impacts of algorithms on human lives. It's been a very big advantage for me. So David, um, I don't know if you missed something, but looks like a, you went from academia directly to starting a company. It's not like you worked somewhere, you got some experience, and then you started a company. 
Is that uh, right? So I was brought in as a consultant while I was teaching at the University of Waterloo. And it was, so it was a startup. So I didn't uh, found Visor ah. as a consultant two months in because they needed someone who could do this AI stuff. <laughs> I see. understand. And then uh, I, I just got into it. I was teaching and spending my evenings uh, coding um, bully, cyberbullying detection algorithms. And that was a lot more fun than grading papers and answering questions yeah. about. <laughs> so, and then afterwards, then what was the transition to CEO like? Uh, how, how did it happen? Um, so, Visor was a company aimed at the consumer where there's a product that you download and you connect your children's social accounts to it and then it provides apparent alerts uh, if and only that's the idea if and only if there's an issue to protect the child's privacy and machine learning is what determines that um, the decision was made uh, to not pursue the consumer route and to just be a pure tech company and so i was uh, offered the job of ceo uh, given that i was the one who had built and uh, understood the the technology itself and that was quite a transition um, that when you're coding at least for me you want to lock yourself up in a hole and yeah <laughs> yeah it's different than being a ceo which is more of a manager right of the organization yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the direct opposite yeah um yeah uh that that was uh a kick in the butt for it was very yeah, my habits had to change my um i had so much to learn like i i had to learn accounting and um how to deal with boards and i don't know <laughs> it was fun though i mean it's very exciting to build a technology but for me it's even more exciting to work with people and build a company that's building a technology that's true um, and I, I know with the, the recent passage of um, California, the CPRA, Consumer Privacy Rights Act, um, children's rights is actually one of the, the key tenants in, in that regulation, protecting the privacy of children. Yeah. Um, so it sounded like Reiser was you know, years ahead of the time of you know, actually protecting children as, um, you know, in, in social media today. So. Um, I mean, yeah, we continue. We so SafetyNet bought us, and they're continuing the mission and doing a great job of it. UK-based uh, company, so we're we're continuing, and the uh, technology improves every year. And so, well, go ahead, Peggy. I know. So you know, just want to connect that um, transition from Visor to what made you decide to um, you know, co-found Fairly AI. How did you make that decision? And in, in choosing this was the project, this was the company that you wanted to form and create. Well, I guess I just sat on a couch and didn't know what to do with my life. <laughs> That's the real honest story. Um, I just kind of thought about 
many different pet projects that I've had in the back of my head if I only had time. And um, at the time I was a board member, it's not like a, a lot of work uh, all day long every day. So it gave me that space. And I also had my first child. And so I took a bit of time um, be with my wife and my son mm -hmm. and it was magical and also just a lot of screaming and vomiting and, and just sitting here <laughs> on my couch changing diapers thing. <laughs> yeah what am I going to do with my life <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I I made uh, a lot of lists I, I did a lot of googling and read a lot of papers and talked to a lot of people and uh, it kind of converged on my my biggest passion is bringing so, the, the benefits of artificial intelligence to people and, and doing it responsibly. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the that's right field, that the explainable AI is other thing, the responsible AI other thing. I mean, these are the hot markets in terms of unexplored areas. So one of the things that uh, we are very curious about people um, uh, is, what drives them like who are their influencers who are the mentors uh, what has been your journey were there in purely internal influencers or external influencers of course the kid and family of course influences your decisions as well i went to a conference and met a lot of very passionate people on ethics and ai and i don't think that there's any singular figure in the field. Uh, Professor Floridi out of Oxford had done a whole lot of work on responsible AI that I was uh, regularly reviewing his and the, the work that came out of his team. Um, and there's, I mean, it's a probably terrible movie, but uh, I robot with Will Smith, and then the yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of ideas. I really like the Terminator. I mean, there, there's things. <laughs> Your second time you call it the Terminator. I, I don't know. It's not like it's not my favorite movie, but um, the 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 appeal of technology um, it's is huge, but the risk as well, and. Mm -hmm. um, I think there, there are the people involved in the community, but also I just was up close and personal with um, a lot of social media data and a lot, I had people that were labeling it and it was sometimes traumatic um, to see all of the horrible things that people are saying and to think about automating uh, the processing of this information of selecting things to be even um, what comes at the top of your Facebook feed and why mm -hmm. and see, seeing the impact on people I think is is really what inspired me uh, to, to do something. I, sorry to interject, interjecting but recently Netflix had a movie that was a huge hit and we watched it the social I forget yeah. uh, is it uh, social media or something like that, right? I don't think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it brings out the aspects that you're talking about. Uh, Peggy, I don't know if you remember, if you know the movie that I'm talking about. How I, did you... I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, we have seen it. It's a social giants 
uh, in terms of which feed comes up you know how the, so the, the three forces right one is a monetization force one is the engagement force and one is just a pure numbers game all of those three things working together to bring up um yeah it, it's an interesting thing that you bring out there david we're in a place where the elections are being decided by social media and some if you are trying if if you're a technologist who just loves innovation and what comes next and also care about major impacts on the world this is an incredible place to be in the history of time where there's so much opportunity and so much so much risk i i think the the cool engineering and pulling rabbits out of the hat as a you know mathematician or something those these are less, I mean, they're maybe not behind us, but what's more exciting is actually grappling with human issues and merging the technology and the human experience. That's where the excitement is for me. That, that's great, David. And I know we only have a few more minutes left to our podcast. So one final question for you, David, is, um, you know, looking towards the future, 2021, um, what are you most either excited about or, or looking forward to that's really going to impact the, the work that you do? I think we're going to see legislation come out of Europe. Uh, the World Economic Forum has a publication uh, that really outlines a legislative approach that they're expecting the EU to take. We're going to see potentially uh, some legislation come through the United States. So there was the Algorithmic Accountability Act uh, that was, I believe, in the Senate about a year or two ago, and it didn't go anywhere. Um, but I think public opinion is evolving, and there is quite possibly bipartisan support for some amount of uh, algorithmic accountability. And we'll see the impacts of uh, the propositions that came through in California and how they affect the rest of the country. I think it's uh, rapidly changing um, where people are moving from not expecting any kind of regulatory oversight to expecting and preparing for it over the next year. So on that note, actually, it's a, the adjoining question to that is, on the technology side, you're right, David, it's exciting, right? I mean, you delving into the foundation and the base level you are, and then it's only so much to do. But on the enormity of the task at hand, you know, things that you mentioned, the data, digging through the data, it makes you cry. You know, it's like what kinds of biases are there. Does it seem like it's, it's almost impossible to deal with uh, these issues uh, and they will continue to be there and there is a... Uh, negative side to, I mean, do you think of those things as, as you're digging into these things? Yeah, but it's not binary. That's what gives me comfort. You can improve and constantly improve. Mm. And I mean, I, I come from philosophy where no one answers any questions in thousands of years, but it's, it's not like there's no point. Um, we have better understanding. We have better systems. I mean, humans are not in a perfect social political situation at any time in history but the either are humans working together to try to make things better aspirational and that's when society thrives or not and and i think just the act of trying on its own makes 
for a better technology and makes for a better world around that technology. Well, well what a positive note to end. <laughs> yes, thank, thank you so much, uh, David. I think we all learned a lot about your company and you really your your journey to um, uh, responsible and fair AI. So thank you so much again for your time today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, David. I mean, it was a very delightful conversation. So we dug a lot deep into many aspects here. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.